Well, are you ready for the word? I, um, this week we're going to continue and do our best to finish the message that we started last week entitled The Comfort Zone. And as I said to you last week before we get into our launch off verses, that the greatest threat to our destiny, our divine destiny, the greatest threat is not demons and devils, it's not even your in-laws. The greatest threat to your destiny is your comfort zone. Your unwillingness to be made uncomfortable, to grow and increase and try to do something you've never done before. That's the greatest threat to your destiny. If you and I are people of God who desire to do the will of God in our generation and make a difference, make a mark that cannot be erased, we are going to have to be a people who are comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen? Amen? So let's go ahead and read as again, I'm going to, some of the things I say are we're going to rehash what we said last week and some of it is going to be new, but I want to read the same verses. I'm going to read you two verses out of Matthew chapter 16 and last week I read it out of three different translations. This week I may, so I can get further, may not read it out of all three, but I'll at least read it out of two. And the first one is the New American Standard. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, everyone say must, he must deny himself. And what I told you last week was this, that really all development requires devotion, Amen. right? We can't develop in any area of life without devotion. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this. I know we're all capable of doing it. But each and every one of us can buy that late night treadmill we see on TV. You know the one that inclines and reclines and declines and does all those other things. And, and, and you know, they got a beautiful LED screen and little fans hidden on it to blow back your golden locks of hair so it can make you feel like you're running out in the, the wilderness. And that thing can do everything, but it cannot provide you the devotion it requires to get on the thing. Right? So you can buy it and have all the potential in the world, but it will require of you two things that we see in this verse, self-denial. You're going to have to deny your desire to sit on the sofa and suck the juice out of a Twinkie and get on the thing and actually turn it on and let that fan blow your golden locks back and jog. You got to have self-denial and devotion because all development requires devotion. Without devotion, there is no development. Right. And I, I know I've shared this story with you, but y'all know I went into GNC one day and I wanted to look like the guy that was waiting on me who was muscle bound. And but what I wanted was the pill that made him look like that. There is no pill in life that'll make us successful. There is no shortcut. We all got to do the exact same thing, though. We may be trying to succeed in different arenas. We have to do the same thing. We have to deny ourselves and be devoted to the process, yes, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be fully developed followers of Christ, you must, everyone say must, must. deny yourself. That's not a real popular thing to say in church. Y'all know that, right? Uh -huh. But if it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. Especially when it's written in red, man. When it's written in red, that's the stuff. So Jesus said, you must deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. 
Verse 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now I want to read it again out of the Amplified and then we'll get busy. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of and forget himself and his own interest and take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying also. Verse 25, for whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here shall lose it, meaning eternal life. And whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here for my sake shall find it life everlasting. Amen. So one of the things that I told you last week is that a healthy faith just doesn't celebrate you as who you are. It always provokes, it frustrates, it makes mad because what it does is it's trying to make you uncomfortable with where you are and who you are so you can go beyond your comfort zone and become who he has envisioned you to be. Because I dare say that no matter where you are in life, spiritually, emotionally, chronologically, each and every one of us are more than who we appear to be. Because as long as we're living, we're growing. I want to say that again. As long as we're living, we're growing. There's a word you do not find in the Bible. It's called retire. Now, I'm not talking about retiring from BMW or your job. I'm you do not retire from kingdom living. Amen. There is no place in your evolution of growth you get to that place and say, I'm done. I'm satisfied. I'm comfortable. I've got more than enough for me and mine and my Ford. No, no, no. There, as long as you're living, you're growing. Yes. If you're following him. Amen. The only way to stop our forward progress, our advance and our increase. Are y'all listening? Yes is to stop following Him. Because as long as we're following Him, it doesn't matter if we're 5 or 95. It doesn't matter whether we're 15 or 84. If we're following Him, He's beckoning us on. Come on, there's another hill to climb. Come on, there's another mountain to conquer. Come on, there's another project to achieve. Come on, there's another song to sing. Come on, there's another book to write. We ain't done until we done. Amen? A healthy faith is an uncomfortable faith because it constantly rocks us and blows our mind. I remember years ago when after we'd been on the mission field and we came back to the States and we had the second phase of our ministry to do and everything that I had done for nearly, a, actually more than a decade of helping other churches grow because see a lot of you don't know what I did before here but I did a lot of consulting work and helping other churches grow and around the nations I developed business leaders and church leaders and my wife can attest to this that the gifts of the, the gifts of the spirit were always in operation I could walk into someone's ministry that I had never been there before and God would tell me where their problem was God would tell me who the problem was and I would know it supernaturally not with my head but from my heart so I can't take any credit for it but God gave me wisdom to do that then when we launched RLC, all of the wisdom that I had used to build other people's ministries didn't work for us. And, and, and I reached a place of just complete frustration, so I picked up the phone and I called my bishop, Bishop Tony Miller, 
And we spoke for about two hours on the phone, and I began, and he was asking all these probing questions. He said, well, what about this? I said, nope, that ain't a problem. What about this? Well, nope, that ain't a problem. Bishop, the problem is I don't know where the problem is. It just ain't working. You know, we're on the radio, and the only thing that's happening is big churches in our county are calling me, asking me for my sermon notes. But ain't nobody coming to our church. We did mail-outs for a year to every new resident of Greenville in our county. I mean, we mailed out a couple hundred thousand. You know how many people visited the church as a result of that? One. And so I, I was on the phone with Bishop, and I said, Bishop, I just don't get it. I did this over there, and it worked. I did it for them, and it worked. I do it for me, and nothing. And Bishop said something to me that I'll never forget nor forgive. <laughs> he said to me, he said, Jimmy, listen to what I'm about to tell you. He said, the, the wisdom the Lord gave you in a previous season, he'll frustrate in your present season so that you pull into him in the future season. Mind blown. I said, wait, wait, whoa, stop right there. I said, let me get this straight. I trust you, Bishop, but let me get this straight. You're telling me that the wisdom God gave me in the last season, he's not going to let it work in this season so that I have to pull into him to get wisdom for the next season. He said, yep. I said, bye. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to know. What I wanted to know was give me the quick fix. Yeah. Tell me who to hire, who to fire, who to assassinate. Tell me something. But don't tell me I just got to be uncomfortable. Because see, what he told me made me uncomfortable. Because I realized I'm not at the place I thought I knew and what I know don't work, so I got to pull into him and get more knowledge. Hear me when I say this to you. God never wants us to grow comfortable. He wants us to grow bigger. I want to say it again. God does not want us to grow comfortable. He wants us to grow bigger. So this is the reason why he's never going to provide you such level of comfort that you can camp out there for the rest of your life. Oh, you'll have seasons. You all have you ever read Psalm 23? You'll have seasons where you're lying in the green grass and it's by the bubbly brook and it's all good and you're lying down and declaring it's wonderful. I'm going to stay here the rest of my life. And then you encounter this thing called a period. And the very next verse is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's like, wait a minute, how did I go from the green pastures to the valley of the shadow of death? I was comfortable there. I ain't comfortable here. Now it's the season to walk. One of the things that I've discovered is when your season changes, your posture better change too. Because the worst thing you can do is when you're in the green pasture to keep walking, but when you're in the valley to lie down. Hallelujah, Father. Growth is a never-ending journey. We'll constantly be growing. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, and this is something of a rabbit, in Hebrews chapter 9, it says that it's appointed or it's the destiny of every man to die once. There's, 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 unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, every one of us are going to come to that place where we transition from this into the next, and that transitional phase is called death. Amen. But here's something that I want you to hear. Death 
ought to find us, everyone say, I'm listening. listening. Death ought to find us doing, not dying. I want to say this again. Death ought to find, we ought to be so devoted to development, so devoted to increase and movement and always going forward, that when death finds us, it interrupts us in mid-project. Now, hear me, this is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of aspiration. Those people who have suffered sickness, this is not condemnation. I'm in no way saying that that's a lack of faith. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is you and I, just because something is usual, don't mean it has to be normal. You and I ought to set our faith to say that when that day comes, death is going to find me doing Death is going to find me building another building, singing another song, doing something else. I am not going to sit down and wait for death. Death is going to find me in mid-project. Y'all follow? Because we're so full of life that death is not an escape. It's an interruption. I've had people ask, I'm going to get into the sermon in just a minute. I've had people ask me, because of my past life, more than one have said, Pastor, are you going to stay with RLC? And I know what they're asking me. They're saying, I really want to give myself to this church, but I want to make sure you do first. And so they'll ask me, Pastor, because of all the world traveling you did, are you going to stay here? And I just want to go ahead and say this and put it out on the World Wide Web. I'm in my happy place. I ain't got no desire to go anywhere else. If there's a Sunday and I'm not here, I'm unhappy. Because this is my happy place. Everything I did before this was preparing me for this. And I have told more than one, there's going to come a season, many, many years from now, I'll be an old fart. (laughs) Did you just say that? I didn't mean it. I meant foggy. I'll be old, man, but my mind will be sharp, and I'll I'll have so much wisdom, I'll still be preaching. And and, and we're going to have a move of the Spirit, and I'm going to fall out. And y'all are going to think, Pastor, fell out in the spirit, and you're going to wait for me to get back up and finish that astounding statement. Only I ain't going to get back up. And then after about 20 or 30 minutes, one of you are going to say, wait, that's it. I don't think he's here no more. Because death is going to find me doing it. It ain't going to find me dying. You ain't going to be wondering. We ain't seen Pastor in a year. I wonder how he's doing. No, you're going to see me every Sunday preaching something because this is the place that God called me to. And that's the way each and every one of us ought to be. We ought to say death is an interruption. It's not a destiny. It's not what I'm waiting for. Death, you better wait just a minute because I got to finish this. Hallelujah. I'm talking about getting out of our comfort zone. Hallelujah, Father. Go with me to John chapter 17. Jesus said this in verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And I said to you last week that Dr. Miles Monroe says that the word glory means true nature or full essence. And that you and I have an objective. We actually have a mandate from God. And that is to do what God has called us to do well. Do it. Finish it. Finish the course that God has given us to do. And it's in that that we glorify God. The full essence of the glory of God upon us and in us is manifested when we do what God called us to do. But in order to do that, you're all listening, right? We've got to be so devoted that we're willing to be uncomfortable. Because if what God had called us to do, we were already capable of doing, 
you'd be doing it. See, we all got this. We're waiting on God. We're sitting there. God, if you would just do this, I would do that. We got it backwards, Jack. We ain't waiting on God. God's waiting on us because the work is finished. Everything we need, he's already put within us. He's just waiting for us to develop it. He's waiting for us to dig down deep, find the treasure he put inside of us, pull it up, make it marketable, polish it, shine it, and present it to the world. God is not, we are not waiting on, everyone say this, I am not waiting on God. God is waiting on me. Say that again. I am not waiting on God. God is waiting on me. Now say this, the wait is over. Because we're not going to procrastinate no more. We're not going to sit down on the sofa of life and say, God, if you would just do this. God, if you wanted me rich, you'd make me rich. If you wanted me wealthy, you'd make me wealthy. No, if you want to be rich, go out there and do it. There are some things we've got to do. Whatever he says to you, no, think about it. No, whatever he says to you, pray about it. No, no. Whatever he says to you, wrestle with him about it. I love that one. I love it when people say, the Lord's really been dealing with me. I love it. And my question is, why has he got to deal with you? Why ain't you obedient? God's been dealing with me for six months. Oh, you mean you've been disobedient for six months? No, I didn't say that. No, that's what you said. Because God's been trying to get you to do it for six months. We just keeping it real. So what you're saying is for six months, instead of yes, Lord, yes, <laughs> I've been saying, wait, Lord, wait. Huh? But if we would just do what the Lord said to do, when the Lord said to do it, how the Lord said to do it, we would not lack for any good thing. Everyone say, the wait's over. Because I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> to get out of the comfort zone. Every, listen, I, there, there, what good thing can we do in life by being comfortable? What good thing can we get in shape being comfortable? No, vibrant health is available to all. It really is. I believe it. But in order to do it, we've got to eat the things that make us uncomfortable. You know, the green things. I've never understood why health food has to taste so bad. You know why it tastes bad? Because we're accustomed to eating things that are unhealthy and we've developed the taste buds for it. But there's vibrant health that awaits us. There's vibrant prosperity that awaits us. There's vibrant spirituality that awaits us. None of us are meant to be spiritual pygmies. All of us can be spiritual giants. You know the type of people I'm talking about? That when they pray, things change. But in order to pray those kind of prayers, we got to pray beyond our comfort zone. I mean, there are some times, and listen, I'm not a prayer. My wife is an innocent. She prays me under the rug. She, I've tried to hang with her in prayer. You know how everyone says husbands and wives ought to pray together? Try praying with her. She never stops. It's like, babe, I'm hungry. Got somewhere to go. 
So I'm, I'm standing up here exposing myself. I'm not by nature a prayer warrior. I'm one of the ones who say, I'll pray for you. Shabba baba. And then I go on my way. Now my, that's the reason why when you say, I need, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, I'll say, okay, I'll tell Deborah. Because she'll pray for you. What am I saying? What I'm saying is you, you're never going to grow in prayer when you only pray till you're comfortable. You and I, and I'm, and I'm preaching to myself, you got to pray beyond your comfort zone. You got to go those extra few minutes. You got to devote yourself a little bit. That's the only way you develop prayer muscles. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's vibrant spirituality that awaits us, but it's not in our comfort zone. We'll never become who God has called us to be as long as we're comfortable. Yeah. Wow. Every good thing in life is just beyond our comfort zone. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not... That's good, man. We might have to do part three next yeah, week. because I. Listen. God has designed life in such a way that you can never step into your destiny while you're holding on to your history. And even if it was painful, most people are comfortable with their history. Because we understand it. We were there. Even if it was painful, we learned to deal with the pain. And if we're in pain long enough, we learn how to identify with the pain. Right? So we, but God designed, if you can picture our present as just, just God Oh, you're so good at what you do. My past, I can hold on to my past, but I can't touch my destiny at the same time because it's always just beyond my reach. Paul said, forgetting those things, letting go of those things that are behind me. I have to let go of this in order to lay hold of this because God designed it in such a way I can't be a creature of both the past and the future. If I want to become a person of destiny instead of a creature of history, i got to at some point say I'm letting go of what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And I'm in a season of I don't know because for a split second there I ain't got neither. That's where faith comes in. Yeah. But if I'm willing to surrender myself to God and say, God, I know who I used to be. Uh -huh. I'm not sure who I am. But I see the picture of what I can be in you. So I'm going to let go of all that I used to know. I'm letting go of my religious past. I'm letting go of what they said. I'm letting go of what they did. I'm forgiving them. I'm letting it go. I'm letting go of this so I can obtain and apprehend this. This is my comfort zone. I'm comfortable identifying as an orphan. I'm comfortable identifying as an abused one. It wasn't good, but I know how to deal with it. I know how to strike before I'm hit. I, I, I know how to hold grudges. I, I, I know how to get back at them, God. I, I know these things. and I know it's not a good way, but it's my way. I've, I've learned it. And God says you got to let it go, but I, I'm comfortable with it, God. I hide in it. I, and it's, 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 what many of us do is we hide in our pain. Years ago, what the Lord taught me was God can never heal what you can steal. And as long as we stay in our hiding place because it's a comfortable place, don't call me out. I, I don't want to sing. I'm comfortable sitting. I, I, I don't want to get engaged. I don't like networking. I like hiding from people because every time I've ever encountered people, especially new people, they always hurt me. And so I, I kind of stay hiding and, and I hide in my comfort zone. And I'll attend church. Just don't ever ask me to do nothing. 
And so we stay in the hiding place. And as long as we stay in our comfortable hiding place, God can't heal us. Because God can't heal what we conceal. He, he has a tendency. God always calls us out of hiding. He said, Adam, when he came into the garden, Adam was hiding. He said, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. But Adam had to admit where he was. Adam had to come out of the comfortable place of hiding from God. When he found Gideon, Gideon was hiding. And he, he said, hey, yo, mighty man of valor, what you doing down there? And Gideon said, mighty man of what? Right? I'm the least member of the least family of the least tribe. And this is my comfortable place. And, and God said, listen, if you're going to be who I called you to be, you've got to come out of your comfortable place. You've got to expose yourself to the danger. And one of the things I told you last week is God has always done this. this but God ain't out to get you. He's out to promote you. And so when God's calling you out of your comfort zone, he's not trying to belittle you. He's not trying to expose you. Y'all listening to me? God never seeks to expose you in order to shame you. He seeks to expose you in order to heal you. Shame is what made you go into hiding. That sense of condemnation is what made you go into hiding. And God says, I want you to come out of the shame. I want you to come out of the condemnation. But, but God, I can't because I'm naked. He said, no, you're clothed with my glory. I already forgave you and I've washed you in the blood. So come on out. It's okay. It's good out here. I've made it well. I've made even your enemies to be at peace with you. Those who hurt you, I've caused them to go away. I've dealt with them. Yes, and now it's just you and me. Come out of your hiding place. Because every character of the Bible that you and I remember as a hero of faith, they all became a hero at the moment of being uncomfortable. God always calls his people into uncomfortable situations because it's when a creature of faith goes into an uncomfortable situation that they manifest God Almighty. So when God is calling you out, he's calling you out for his glory. Is this okay this morning? Hallelujah, Father. In Romans chapter 8, let me look at just verse 19. The Bible says the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Did you know that? See, most of us, we think we're insignificant. And what we don't understand is the entire universe is standing on its tiptoes, waiting to see you glorify Him. All of the universe, everything that God has created, every being, angels look forward to it and devils dread it. But every one of them are on their tiptoes looking and saying, I wonder, is she ever going to become what God called her to be? Is he ever going to step into his calling? Is she ever going to do what God ordained her to do? Is he ever going to come out of his hiding place? I wonder if the church will ever stop being comfortable and start being world changers. The whole universe is looking. And it's when you and I come out of our comfort zone. Well, Pastor, what's my comfort zone? Oh, you know it. I don't got to describe it because you lived there. In America, we're the most comfortable. We are the most addicted people to comfort in all the world. And our addiction to comfort is an adversity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God's calling us to be uncomfortable. 
And we're saying, I ain't going to go there if it's 73 degrees because I'm too hot. And another one's saying, I ain't going if it's 71 because it's too cold. <laughs> and if it ain't just right. I said we're trying to build an army, not an audience. God, help us to become uncomfortable. Help us to answer yes. When the Lord says, will you pray a little while longer? Yes, Lord, yes. Will you serve a little bit more? Yes, Lord, yes. Will you get a little bit more involved in their pain? Yes, Lord, yes. When you see somebody hurting and you didn't do it, will you still be the agent of change? Yes, Lord, yes. But God, what if it cost me time? I created time. I'll give you more of it. Yes, yes Lord. Yeah. But God, what if it cost me money? I've got something greater than money. Amen. I have something called the anointing, which will attract wealth to you in ways you've never even understood. I give you wealth without labor. I give you wealth that's the result of favor. I will bless you if you bless the least. Yes, yes, yes Lord. Yes. yes. Well, God, but what, what, what if it causes me to be uncomfortable? Oh, it will. But be uncomfortable because by denying yourself and picking up that cross of sacrifice and following me, you will become just like me. Aren't you glad he was willing to be made uncomfortable? For your sake? I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that he did not run away from the cross. I'm grateful that he was willing to deny himself and, and to dis, dis, disrobe of his own divinity and to become less than who he was. He didn't have to do it. But he disowned his own dignity to become humanity so that humanity could take on dignity. I'm grateful. And the whole universe is looking for the sons and the daughters of God to become like the Christ. That we follow. Mm. Go to book of Deuteronomy. Is this okay? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. We could stop right there and have chites. We could be Pentecostal right there. God's bringing me into... Good land. What's a good land? It ain't bad. It's a good land. He gives you wealth without labor. For God is bringing you. Everyone say, God's bringing me. If you wonder, if you ever, listen, when we say yes to every step, every, look, there's a rabbit. I'm chasing another one. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Here's something that you and I need to understand. God will always show us the end game. But he doesn't show us the intermediary. He shows us the end game in order to inspire us to keep pressing through all the obstacles because God has showed me there's a wealthy place that waits for me. There's a place where I operate in such an anointing that when I lay my hands on the sick, they recover. When I speak to a mountain, it moves. When, when, when I say light be, light is. I, over here, I'm just like him. But where I start, he gives me a picture of Superman, but when I look in the mirror, I see Pee Wee Herman. And God says, son, I, I'm talking to the you that I see. Yes. Yes. 
and I'm calling that super out of you. So now here's what I ask you to do. Take a step, a step of development that requires self-denial and devotion because you've been comfortable being scrawny. I'm going to ask you to become muscular. So take a step. See, every, every journey is made up of steps. And the steps are ordered of God but belong to the man. If you aren't willing to take the... Last week, my wife and I drove down to Florida. Can I tell you what didn't happen? I didn't jump in the truck in Traveler's Rest and appear in Panama City. It was mile after mile after mile. A progress, a journey. And that's our life. Every step, every time God asks me to do something and I say yes, that's a step. I ain't at the end yet. See, this is the reason why you don't have a right to judge me. You don't know where I started from, and you don't know where I'm going. All you know is what you see, and you compare it to what you think I ought to be, but you don't understand God is redeeming me. God is making something new out of me, so don't look at me and judge me because I've made a lot of progress, and I ain't there yet, but I'm making progress. You don't judge me, bro. I won't judge you. I will just go together into the future, arm in arm. When you stumble, I'll hold you. I won't condemn you. That's why we call this a safe place. So when you stumble, we don't say, I knew you'd never make it. I knew you didn't have what it takes. No, no, no. We're going to reach down. We're going to say, you're my brother. You're my sister. And I'm going to help you stand up again. And we're going to walk. Let's just say, let's just say, Pastor, I can't run. That's okay, baby. Let's take a step. It's a step in the right direction. It's the steps that belong to a man. But they're ordered of God. Because where God is trying to take us, the Bible calls it a good land. The Bible calls it a wealthy place. It ain't a place of brokenness. It's a place of wholeness. It ain't a place of shattered dreams. It's a place of manifested dreams. It's a place where everything that God has promised us, we go beyond getting the best that life can offer. I remember one time, it just, and I thought my faith was really exploding. Is this okay? One time, I thought my faith was really exploding. You know, And I said, God, I, I believe you for the best life has to offer. And the Lord said, how about believing me for more? Just on the inside. And I thought, what more is there? And then my lightning quick mind said, oh, I get it. How about believing me for the best the kingdom has to offer? That's beyond what life can offer. How about you and I say, you know what? It ain't about the best that life. I don't want the best government cheese. No, sir. I don't want the best government. I don't want the best government welfare. That's right. No, no. I want the best the kingdom yeah. has to offer. And that's a life without lack. That's a life where there's nothing broken and there's nothing missing. That I have more than enough to meet my own need. I got seed, bro. I got silos of seed. And so when you have a need, I reach into my silo because God has blessed me. And I've chosen to believe that there's more to life than what I have experienced. And so I'm willing to press beyond my comfort zone and take another step. How about you? How about you? I don't know about you, but I want to achieve what God called me to do. When that moment comes and I transition from this life, I don't want to hear half done. 
Have y'all ever had half done? I usually send it back. I want well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Where was I? Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. God's will is not one for you to endure, endure scarcity. I believe the Bible says something about abundant life. Not just life, but a... And when you consider that everything that comes down from our Father, the Bible says is good and perfect. So when Jesus says it's an abundant life, an abundance of what? I don't know about you, but I've done had an abundance of pain. I know what it is to have an abundance of scarcity. I do know what it's like to not know where my next meal is going to come from. My wife and I do know what it's like to be homeless. I've had an abundance of that. In fact, I've had enough of that. I've decided to quit believing those preachers who tell me that God has ordained me to misery and look into the Bible and let the Bible declare for itself what God's will is for me. And though every man may declare God wants you to be miserable and unhappy to prove your devotion, let the word of God be true. Let every man be a liar. But God will not lie. It's not within his nature to lie. If God said it, it's the truth. And he said, my will for you is that you would no longer be broken, no longer be fragmented, that you would be completely made whole in every area of life. With God, it's not just this or that. It's this and that. A land whose stones are iron, and get this, out of whose hills you can dig copper. Now you notice he said there's, there's one area you gotta, you got to contribute something. It's hidden away in those mountains. Can you dig it? God's got wealth for you. Can you dig it? I, I, I got a book on my bookshelf. It says life is a gold mine. Can you dig it? And I put that book in a place where I'll see it all the time. Because when I'm tempted, like you, to believe that life is nothing but a garbage bin, when I'm tempted to believe that all life ever hands me is trash, I look at that book cover and I say, life is not a punishment. Life is a blessing from God. God didn't give me life to endure until I get to heaven. God gave me life so I can experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so I look at that book and I think life is a gold mine, bro. I can dig it. I'm going to keep on digging it until I get it. And when I get it, I'm going to spend it. Can you dig it? Everything you need 
to be what God has called you to be is already resident within you. Everything you need, you lack for nothing, it's in there. But all we need is the devotion, the willingness to be made uncomfortable, to break up that follow ground, to look beyond what everyone else has called trash. I don't want to go down this, but I told you last week, we all have the propensity to believe a lie over the truth. A thousand people could tell you you're stunningly beautiful, but let one person call you ugly. And you know what you'll believe? You'll believe the lie. You let a thousand people tell you you're smart, that you're witty, that you can do it, but let one person, one idiot, speak ill of you. And you know whose words you'll treasure? The idiot. Why? Because we all have, we got to overcome that. We, we're, we're comfortable with the lie because we're already struggling with our self-esteem anyhow. When we look in the mirror, we all have a tendency to think God did good by everyone else but me. We've got to, we've got to retrain our ears so that they're more comfortable with the truth. And so the thousand people can lie, but one person tells the truth and I latch onto that. You know, I mean, when you retrain yourself enough, someone can tell you you're pretty annoying, and all you hear is I'm pretty. <laughs> and so they're wondering why you're smiling. You, didn't you get it? Oh, I got it. You said I was pretty. Nothing else, because all I, you've heard me say this to you before. God is the only one that knows everything about, he knows every bad thing you've ever done. He knows every dirty deed you've ever done. He knows every bad thought you ever had. But God never spreads gossip about you. God never says a negative thing about you. And when God chastises you, it's not to punish you, it's to promote you and provoke you into becoming more than who you are so he can look at you even when you've been caught in the very act of adultery. He can look at you in love and say, you know what? The only one that could have condemned you was me and I choose not to condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Hmm. Ooh, man, I got so much. We're going to have to do part three. Yeah, we're going to have to do part three. Lewis prophesied it. Lewis asked me one time, he said, Pastor, you pack so much into every sermon. Can't you do series? And it's like, but I got something else I want to say. But let's go to the book of Genesis, and with this, we'll close. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your comfort zone. It says country, but you know where you're comfortable. You're always comfortable with people who are just like you. And one of the greatest, you know, one of the most wonderful things about the gospel is this. It brings together a body of diversity. You know when the gospel's actually being preached when there's diversity within a congregation. If there's no diversity, they ain't hearing the gospel. I'm just keeping it real. Because we're all comfortable living in an echo zone. If I'm a Republican, I only want to hear from Republicans. If I'm a liberal, I only want to hear from liberals. I, I, 
You can never become more than who we are if we only hear people that are just like us. One of the main problems with denominations is they all walk the same, talk the same, dress the same, look the same. They No crossbreeding. The wonderful thing about the gospel is it draws together. This is the reason why Paul said we got to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Because as the gospel is preached, it pulls together people. It brings Jew and it brings Greek. It brings man. It brings woman. It brings rich. It brings poor. And it brings them together in one body. And the, 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 the testimony of that diversity is only the spirit of grace could do this. So the wonderful thing about the gospel is it pulls together diversity. The wonderful thing about diversity is if I will give your voice credence and I'll be willing to listen to your story instead of instantly saying, no, that ain't true. That ain't my background. I like these songs. These songs are sacred. It's always amazing how the songs you like are the sacred ones. Come on, Pastor. Keep going. But when we're willing to look at people who don't look like us, who don't have the same life experience we do, who say, I value you, and I want to hear your story. I want to know where you come from because I want to give God glory for what he's brought you through. So tell me your story. I'm not going to devalue it or degrade it. And when your story and your narrative joins mine, we become more together. This is what, is this okay? This is what Paul said about coming to the Romans. He said, I want to come to you. I want to come to you that I can impart something to you. But not only can I impart something to you, you can impart something to me. See, the wonderful thing about the congregation is not me. I'm not even the best preacher in this place. The best thing about this congregation is you. Because it's you coming here that increases us and makes us more than who we are. And we are all valuable in the sight of God and we all have a testimony and we all have a story and no one in here is insignificant and no one's more important than the other. We come together because we are all creatures recreated by the redemptive realities of God Almighty. So we come out of where we're comfortable. I don't want to live in an echo chamber. No, sir. I don't want, I, I, I want, even if I disagree, right. it may be because I've never experienced it. So right. keep talking. So God told Abram, he said, Abraham, I got a vision for you. I got a, I got a vision. I have a dream. Abram, you want to hear it? Yes, sir. I want to hear it. I have a dream where one day you're going to be the father of many nations. Where all the world is going to know who I am because of you. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of you, Abram. But in order to do that, Abram, I need you to leave your comfort zone. Are you willing, Abram? This is what he says. And from your relatives and from your father's house... One day, years ago, when I was studying this, I saw this, and this is where I'm going to try to bring it to a close. Three levels of the familiar. Three levels. Notice the furthest ring of his comfort was his country, his people. These were people that all eat the same foods I eat. I remember the first time someone put grits in front of me. I didn't know how to like them until my wife made them. I was like, grits? 
You ain't got no potatoes? Can't you fry them potatoes in some oil? You know what I'm talking about. But my life increased when I experienced grits, especially the way she does. Don't get me wrong, I still like potatoes. But we have our country. Those are our kinfolk, the people we're familiar with. God says, I need you to leave them. And then he's going to draw it even closer because sometimes I'm willing to leave the distant. But now you're talking about my relatives. God brings it even closer and he says, Abram, if you're ever going to give birth to the nation that I have in mind, I need you to leave your relatives. It's getting real now. Oh, but Abram, I'm not done, son. I need you to leave your father's house. That's forsaking your own name. Abram, I want to give you a new name, but as long. Have you ever discovered there are some people that will never let you outpace your past? There are some people, their danger to you is they know too much about you. And they're never willing to recognize growth. Their only thing they'll ever do is see you through the prism. I know parents that got 50-year-old children and still treat them like a child. Uh, yes, sir. 50 years old, man, let them grow up. Some people will never let you grow beyond that circle. And can I tell you something? If they won't let you grow beyond, you better go beyond. Because Abram had to get around some people that didn't know he was sterile. Well, no, that was wrong. I just said the wrong thing. He wasn't sterile. She was sterile. Forgive me. I got too excited. But the point is this. There are some people, all they know is your impotency. All they know is your failures. They'll never let you become a success. So God is saying, Abram, I need you to come out from them. Come out from your country. Come out from your relatives. Come out from your father's house. Come out from these three levels of familiarity so you can get around to people when they when you say hey my name's Abraham they don't know to correct you so when you get around some people and you tell them your dream they don't know your past so they can't remind you of it so when you tell them you know what the Lord spoke to me and the Lord said he's going to make me rich they can't remind you you come from generational poverty And I will make you, verse 2, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I got another four pages. But this is where we'll bring it to a close. I'm so glad I'm not an itinerant anymore and I can finish up a message in another week. (sighs) I remember a day when I was standing outside of a friend's church and the the Lord had been dealing with me about things like grace and love and identification. And I remember in order to do what God had called me to do, I was going to risk alienating friends because they were dedicated to a certain ministry mode that God was calling me beyond. And I loved my friends, and I valued them, and I esteemed them, and none of us want to be lonely. And I picked up the phone, and I called my wife, and I said, love, I need you to pray for me. 
I said, if I preach what the Lord's given me to preach, they're never going to invite me back. If I preach what the Lord has put within my heart, they're going to disown me, and I know they will. And jumping forward, they did. And my wife told me, she said, love, but if you don't preach what the Lord gave you to preach, you'll always be stuck preaching what they preach. This is your moment of being uncomfortable. And so I went into that pulpit and I preached grace in a place of law. The congregation was blessed. The preacher was ticked. But here's the thing. See, you and I got to be willing to risk losing that which holds us back in order so that we can become who God called us to be. Now, for some of this, this requires physical relocation, but not for all. For most of us, what it is is an emotional relocation. We let go of certain memories. We let go of certain people. We let go of certain places so that we can go and be among a group of people who are more enamored with our destiny than they are our history. So that when we get around a certain section of people, they, they're not so inclined to say, where do you come from? They want to know what has God told you. I love it when I get around people whose first question is, Pastor, what God's telling you? I like it when I get an email from people and they say, Pastor, do you got a plan for our next phase? I say, yeah, I got a plan for the next three phases. I'm just waiting on the next phase, but I got a plan. And see, I want to be around a group of people who know that the future is bright. And it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. It doesn't matter what plans they make. It doesn't matter what politicians do because God has said he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And we're more kingdom minded than we are political minded. And I'm willing to embrace people who don't even agree with me. But we agree on one thing. Jesus is Lord. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Father. Lift your hands toward heaven. And as I'm praying, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here. And if you need prayer this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, please do not leave here without letting someone pray with you. This could be your moment of greatest transformation. And if you're here this morning and you're hurting, don't hurt in solitude. We're a family of faith, above and beyond anything else. And it would be the thrill of our day to be able to hold your hands and agree with you. So if you need prayer, don't leave here without getting prayer. If you're here for the first time, please allow us to meet you. We'd like to, if possible, if you'll open up the door to form a relationship with you. Father? I apologize for being addicted to comfort. And my desire is greater than my addiction to comfort. I desire to be who you called me to be. So, Father, I'm willing to embrace being uncomfortable. And the first time, the first opportunity you present me to do something that's above and beyond, I'm going to say yes. Lord, when your spirit encourages me to pray more, I'm going to say yes. When your spirit encourages me to give more of my time and my resources to go out of my way, I'm going to say yes. Father, I want to be all I can be. 
in your kingdom. I want every gift you've placed within me to be fully manifested. I don't want to rob the world of anything you've placed within me. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. And with that, I ask you to come forward if you need prayer. If not, you are dismissed to go in the grace of God. We love you, and I hope we'll see you next week. God bless you.